So good to be together with everybody. You guys, we're singing those songs today about that second song, first love fire, Jesus light that first love fire, restore to me that first love. And then we sing about fear. You know, we're living in a time that's very fearful. And we sang it in that song that perfect love casts out fear. You know, there's something about when you are just fully in love with Jesus, when you are uh, just in his presence, in the river of God, that fear can't remain there. Fear cannot even stay in that environment. And God is doing so many great things today. Man, what a powerful time. I just want to keep worshiping. Unfortunately, I preached so long last service that it goes on too long. So we want to get you guys out of here to make sure to watch the 49ers beat the Seahawks today. In Jesus' name, come on, anybody Anybody love the Holy, Holy Spirit, love God, and believe in the 49ers today? Or are you like serving the kingdom of darkness? See, some people need deliverance. That's what I'm saying. We have a prayer service for those that uh, are, you know, caught up in that demonic deception of, of rooting for the Seahawks. And uh, we'll have our most anointed prayer people to help you. I, I can't guarantee God's going to actually work in your life. Uh, it's, it's a long process, you know, of, of de- dealing with that. How many of you are like, you just killed the anointing, Pastor Jake? <laughs> Talking about football. Man, so good to be with you guys today. What a powerful time in the presence of God. So good to be with the family, with uh, our brothers and sisters here in the atmosphere. And how many of you overdosed on candy that you stole from your kids? Anybody uh, do what I did yesterday? Only a few of us. Well, we practiced tithing at our house. And so, you know, we tithe to the Lord. And uh, when the kids get a harvest, a bounty of candy, they have to tithe to the Father, right? Yeah. And so uh, I definitely went a little overboard uh, with my candy. I think I could feel my immune system was weakened today from all of the candy that I put inside there uh, as if it was like happened to me and it wasn't my choice in action, but it was definitely me. Did you get any candy, Joe, from your girls? Any? You did. Good, good. I, I knew you would. I, yeah, I believe that. Awesome. Well, guys, we're going to jump in today. We're starting a brand new series called Brutally Honest. Brutally Honest. And we're talking about the prayers of the Psalms. If you look into the book of Psalms, it's the book of Psalm, but there are Psalms in there, right? For all the people that are OCD and want to make sure I get it right. It's the book of Psalm. Is that right? Am I right? Look it in your Bibles. I guess it might be different in some, but we'll take it as, as uh, truth today. Uh, but when you look into that book, it's a book of prayers. It's a book of songs uh, organized and put together for us to look into. But one of the things I love about it is that it reveals the authenticity and the vulnerability and the truth of how we actually feel when we're going through the circumstances of life. Have any of you noticed in 2020, it's been a bit of a year. We were talking to a friend recently. His friend was taking him to this restaurant where it was like $300 a plate. And the friend said to him, oh, it's a bit of a scene. Like the understatement of the century, right? It's been a bit of a year. There's been a little bit of things. Hey, did anybody else know there was an election this week? Yeah, I just found out. Facebook was telling me I'm supposed to vote, and so we uh, recommend that. Some of you were like all offended because you, know, you should vote, yes, but just having fun. But this has been a bit of a year. There's been some contention. We're in pandemic. There's things going on. And have you hit any moments this year where you're like, I'm done, right? And you start to just say, I'm going to get really brutally honest. Now, the thing is, uh, as we look at this, we're, we're going to recognize that it's okay to recognize and be in tough times and to see that, hey, there's things going on, there's problems, there are circumstances going on. But what we often want to do is we want to get very brutally honest with other people and kind of emotionally vomit or, or open fire on other people. Come on, are you with me? Uh, whether that's verbally or otherwise, we want to just 
unload and, un- and unleash what's going on, this turmoil and storm on the inside on other people. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever done that, right? Has that happened to you and have you done it? Yes, you have. I've talked to some of you. <laughs> that sometimes we, we take the turmoil on the inside and we, we put it out on other people. We had a young lady that uh, we were leading in a, in a Bible college many years ago, and she really loved to be brutally honest with people. You know, some people, they take this, they wear it like a badge, like I tell it like it is, right? And we had to say, we are removing your, uh, your challenge card. Your, your license to correct other people is revoked. We're like the DMV. We cut it up. Like all you can do, all, all you are allowed to do is encourage other people because she was kind of taking this thing like iron sharpens iron. She was really using real iron to actually correct people like, and using her words and like, I'm going to correct them and I'm going to tell it like it is. You ever met somebody like this? The reality is you're just being mean. You just need to be a little nicer. What you're saying could potentially be true, but you need to learn to say it a little sweeter. Didn't you ever learn from Dr. Phil that you put it in a sandwich? You know what I mean? I like you. You're ugly. I like you. You know what I mean? And it, it's <laughs> All right, all right. So, you know, you put it in a sandwich, but some people, they're like, I'm brutally honest. I'm going to tell it like it is. No, you're just being mean. Other people are being brutally honest and they're going to unload all their emotional baggage and, and everything on other people. And what we're supposed to do is what Peter says in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Listen, as much as your spouse loves you, cares about you, as much as your mom or dad loves you, cares about you, they can't be your emotional uh, unloader. It has to be God. He says, bring your cares to me. Why? Because he's your father in heaven. He loves you more than anything else. And he's the one that saves you and provides for you and actually can bring healing into your life. And so as we look into the book of Psalms and we look at being brutally honest, we're going to learn the art of getting brutally honest with God and saying, Lord, this is where I'm at. I'm not okay. Things are not okay. Circumstances might not be okay. But recognizing that this is the proper response of a follower of Jesus to bring to him our cares, our worries, right? To bring it to the Lord in prayer. Like Peter says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Now here's what God does. Sometimes God works and often does in the situation where you're in the middle of a battle, you're in the middle of a storm and you say, Lord, help me. And he shows up and he helps you in that situation. He deals with the situation. But other times he wants to work in you and there's a work of sanctification and grace and glory that God is doing in your life and in your heart. And so when we pray to God and ask him, we get honest with him in our prayer and we, we open up ourselves to him. He shows up in those two ways, sometimes changing the situation, but more often changing us in the middle of that situation. Are you with me? So we're going to jump in today and talk about being brutally honest. But I think the most brutally honest people on the planet are children. You recognize this? Have you seen this before? Yes. Like my kids are very honest and sometimes it, it hurts me, my feelings. Like my kids will come in and be like, dad, your belly's really big. You know, well, okay, hold on. Uh, 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 like you get your feelings hurt by a five-year-old. You know what I mean? What do you do? They're like, dad, you're fat. And I'm like, well, you're homeless. <laughs> Didn't you learn to be nice? Haven't I taught you that as your parent? No, you, okay. I guess it's my responsibility to train you. So therefore go out into the world and make your way, you know? But how many of you know, kids are brutally honest, right? They'll just tell, tell it how it is. And I can tell you all kinds of stories, but I found some stories from the internet. Did you guys know there's like information you can find? And it's amazing. Uh, 
This is from Sarah, okay? She posted this on the internet, so it's fair game for me to preach it. She said, when my son was probably three, I was dancing around while I was getting ready for work. He comes up next to me and goes, geez, mom, your butt is flying everywhere. (laughs) Oh, man. That's where it's, that's why we believe in spanking. Okay, the next, (laughs) this is from Karen. She said, running errands with my four-year-old son this weekend, I mentioned that we kind of matched. Black t-shirt, shorts, tennis shoes. He responded with this, no, you're wearing mom jeans and I'm not. (laughs) That's cold. Okay. I sat down with my three-year-old daughter who was playing with the dollhouse. I asked her which doll I could be and she replied, the one who does the dishes. These are naughty kids. (laughs) I'm glad my kids aren't exactly like this. All right. This this one is from a grandma was talking to her young grandson. She asked him, "Uh, is your girlfriend hot? To which he replied, nah, she's just warm. (laughs) That's awesome. And then last but certainly not least, this is from three-year-old Finn. He said, I'm trying to be nice, but it's not working. How many of you can relate to that, right? <laughs> I'm really trying to be nice, but I, I'm telling it like it is. No, I'm trying to be nice, but it's not working. Kids are brutally honest. Now let's jump in to the book of Psalms today. And we're going to take a look at different Psalms over the course of this series. But today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 55 and see a, a really brutally honest prayer and expression, uh, a pro- even a progression that David goes through. This is a Psalm of David that he wrote in the middle of a pretty trying circumstance, pretty trying time. Uh, in Psalm 55, the context of this is that David is experiencing the betrayal and the, uh, the, the betrayal of his son and a trusted friend. David had a son named Absalom. Some of you are familiar with this story. You can look it up in the book of 2 Samuel. But Absalom was at the gate and he was basically you know, creating whispering and contention and turning the heart of the people to himself as a potential king against his father. And David was in a bind where, you know, he doesn't want to go against his own son, hurt his own family. So he kind of isn't doing anything, but there's the whispering and the drama and the, all of this going on. And David had a friend who was a trusted advisor, a counselor to him named Ahithophel. How many of you are glad your parents didn't name you that, right? You're trying to sign it in fourth grade. Like, what's your name? You're like, Ahitha, Ahitha, my name's Phil. I was in Cambodia and they'd be like, I'd be like, hey, what's your name? And they said something and, I, I, and they're like, my name's Don. Okay, thank you. You know, <laughs> I feel bad for people and like, because us Americans, I have to admit, we're a little like kind of dumb sometimes, aren't we? So people have these beautiful, incredible names and we're like, oh, why don't you speak my language? Okay, anyways, I'll leave that off. Yeah, you guys know what I'm saying. So uh, Ahithophel is an advisor and a friend to David. But he actually joins with Absalom in this rebellion. He actually goes along with this plot. And so here's David, his son, and his best friend, or a close friend, uh, are betraying him. And he's going through these circumstances and this challenge. And this is the context of these words that we have of David, this brutally honest prayer, this psalm that he writes that is is, uh, a, a collection of his prayer, but also a response. It was actually set to music or set to a recitation they would uh, recitation, they would, you know, speak it out in their services and read it out as a prayer. And it says in verse one, and we're going to put this on the screen, we're going to read the whole Psalm. So if you didn't read your Bible today, this is your get out of jail free card because you're going to get a whole chapter in church right here, right? It's awesome. It's like going to the gym when they strap that electronic thing that shakes your belly fat, you know? How many of you have one of those? Don't raise your hand. We don't want to know. 
Unless they work, then tell me after service because I want one. Uh, But we're going to go through a whole chapter today so you can check it off in your Bible reading plan. How awesome is that? Verse 1 of Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. How many of you have actually prayed this prayer this year? Oh, that I could take wings on Delta and fly to Fiji and get away, right? Fly to the quiet of the wilderness. David says in verse 8, how quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. Confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans, for I see violence and conflict in the city. Its walls are patrolled day and night against invaders, but the real danger is wickedness within the city. Everything is falling apart. Threats and cheating are rampant in the streets. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that, he says. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive, for evil makes its home within them. But I will call on God, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. God, who has ruled forever, will hear me and humble them. For my enemies refuse to change their ways. They do not fear God. As for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words as soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall, but you, O God, will send the wicked down to the pit of destruction. Murderers and liars will die young, but I am trusting you to save me. This is David's prayer. This is Psalm 55. And we see in this psalm a very honest, open-hearted progression that David goes through. A prayer that he prays that I think many of us, whether we've prayed these words specifically, we've at least prayed parts of it, or we can align ourselves and say, man, I relate to that because sometimes I get so despondent. I feel like God is ignoring me. Uh, I'm afraid. I'm in fear. I see the, the, the circumstances, the world, the chaos going around me where I've been betrayed. I have enemies and I'm praying that death would stalk them. Like how many of you would say sometimes in my, in the brutal honesty of my heart, I've had some people that were doing some pretty shady stuff and I was pretty upset about it and it didn't feel like anything was going to get done. Anybody else live in this world? And if it hasn't happened yet, it's probably going to happen at some point. We're all inheritors of the, the brokenness and the fallenness of this world and Unfortunately, many times that even manifests through the people that we trust and that we care about, friends, family, coworkers, authority figures, different people that betray, and it happens. We, we are part of the problem. We do it to others, and it happens to us. And so David goes through this whole progression as he goes through this prayer, and we're going to look at the six sections of this prayer to see what we can learn out of this and apply it to our own lives and our growth as followers of Jesus. Number one, David starts off feeling ignored by God 
because of the crisis. How many of you know when you're going through stuff, sometimes you're praying and it feels like 10 inches above your head, there's this shield and you pray this prayer and it bounces off and falls back down. Anybody ever feel like that? You're going through the battle, you're going through the darkness and it's like, man, is God just ignoring me? Where is he at? Where's God in the middle of the pain? Many times in life when we're actually suffering, we feel by our emotions and our perception that God is not with us because if he was with us, why would he let me go through this? If God was here, why would he let this happen? If God was sovereign, if God was in control, why would he let things get so out of hand? And we oftentimes feel like God is personally far away from us. Sometimes we feel like trouble is coming down on our heads and sometimes it really is. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not chasing you? People say, oh, fear, false evidence appearing real. Yeah, but sometimes it's false evidence appearing uh, real because it is real. Right? Do you know what, what it's called when you just deny that there's any trouble or any problems? Like right now in 2020, if you're like, everything's perfect, let's do it again. That's called delusion. Right? Like some things are bad. It's okay to admit like there's problems. And David in this moment is like, hey, I, I, I feel like God, you're not here. He feels like God is far away, but it's in these moments that we need to walk by faith, not by sight, walk by truth, not in feeling, and remember that Jesus said he would never leave us nor forsake us. That it, even if it feels like God is far from you, he is not far from you, he's with you. The Spirit of God that came into your life when you chose to be a follower of Jesus, he stays with you, he's with you all times, he's the comforter, he's the advocate. Come on, guys. Even if I feel alone, I need to proclaim the truth and understand the truth that God is here. He does hear my prayer. He does not leave me nor forsake me, even in the midst of this. But brutally honest, right? Man, God, I feel like you're far from me. Hear my prayer. Hear my cry. That's what David is saying. And he's also admitting very vulnerably and authentically that he's in a time of deep fear. In verse chapter 4, David says, My heart pounds. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me. I can't even stop shaking. David experienced deep fear because of the circumstances surrounding him. He was being betrayed. People were talking about him uh, behind his back, and he couldn't really do anything about it. You ever had people talk about you behind your back? Those of you who don't think you have, you have. You just didn't know. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. You know, Bethany and I, we're the pastors of Joy Church. We understand being a leader, half the people think you're doing a good job, half the people don't. And everybody's talking about it behind your back. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's all right, man. It's like any publicity is good publicity, right? As long as there's, I'm just teasing. But, but David understands I'm going through this and he's feeling this deep fear because of the circumstances. And here's what happens is that fear makes us do crazy stuff. Fear makes us act irrationally. Fear makes us do things we wouldn't normally do. Have you seen this happen? Listen to this story. Uh, there was a little boy named Johnny, five years old. He was in the kitchen and his mom was making supper. So she said, Johnny, uh, will you go into the pantry and get me a can of tomato soup? But Johnny was afraid. It was dark in there. He didn't want to go in alone. He said, it's dark in there. Mom, I'm scared. And so she said, Johnny, come on. Asked again, persisted. And finally she said, listen, Johnny, it's okay. Jesus will be in there with you. How many of us as parents, we, we pull the Jesus card often to get our kids to do stuff? <laughs> so we do, right? Anything we can do to get them to go to, just go to bed. Mom, there's a monster in the closet. Jesus is in there with you. You'll be all right. <laughs> she says, Jesus will be there in, with you, in, in there with you. And Johnny walked hes hesitantly to the door and slowly opened it. He peeked inside and he saw that it was dark. 
And he started to leave when all at once an idea came to him. And this is what he said. Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me that can of tomato soup? (laughs) Smart kid, huh? This year, a lot of times in the middle of fear, in the middle of circumstances, a lot of people are saying, Jesus, could you hand me that can of soup? I don't want to go forward. I don't want to show up at church on Sunday. I don't want to start a group. I don't want to show up at my work. I'm, I'm scared. I'm afraid. It's dark. It's terrifying. I've watched the news. They told me that I'm going to die. I'm going to go down to the grave. I'm shaking in my boots. How many of you know, man, fear must be really, the, the commodity of fear has gotten really cheap because it's, it's out there in the market right now. Everybody's using fear, right? On both sides of the political spectrum and society, everything, fear, fear, fear. It's being shoved down your throat at all the time. Fear, fear. We're living in a time of fear. David says, my heart's pounding. I feel I can't even sleep. I'm trembling. I can't stop shaking. This is a perfect picture of our time. We're living in a time that is dominated by fear. Yesterday I was watching college football, end of the Texas-Oklahoma State game, and this enormous, really awesome defensive lineman chased down the quarterback and just ate his lunch, you know what I mean? Tackled him and rolled him up, and, and I, it just, it, it struck me, man, that's what domination is. I think about like sumo wrestler with his foot on your neck, and you're laying there going, please, sir, don't, don't step down. This is where people are in culture right now. Maybe even you, dominated by fear, so afraid of what might happen that you don't even live your life. That you don't even go and see the people that you love. I mean, think about this. Then you go, Pastor Jake, are you making political statements? No, 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 no. Look, we, we're walking in wisdom. Do you know Joy Church is a church of about six to 800 people and we have 100 people in services. Why? Because we're walking in wisdom. Why are we all wearing masks? Because we're walking in wisdom. We're not being delusional. We're not saying, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no pandemic. Guys, I had COVID. I got it. I'm fine. I'm okay. Did you notice that? People were texting us like, what are your symptoms? You know, I think people were nervous and they wanted to know how bad it was going to be for them. Not bad. It's okay. We live in a fearful time. And that's okay to feel that fear. It's okay to be brutally honest. It's okay to say, man, I'm scared of getting sick. I'm scared of what could happen. I'm scared about the economy. I'm scared about things that could happen. But listen, when you are so dominated by fear, what you have to ask yourself is, are you so afraid of dying that you actually don't live your life? Haven't you seen Braveheart? Remember the speech? If you haven't seen it, it's probably good to go get it on YouTube and just watch that part. We're so afraid of death. We're so wanting to be safe that we end up giving away what makes life worth living. I was a little bit blown away because my parents are both in their 60s. My mom has very, uh, very vulnerable. She has uh, deep lung damage. Those of you that know her, she suffered from asthma her entire life. Uh, we were f- afraid that she'd get COVID and that she wouldn't make it because she would be in the very highest category. My dad said, I'm you know, in my 60s. I have heart disease. I have diabetes. I have everything. You know? And he, was, he knew he was very vulnerable. Both of them got it. Both were hospitalized, and both of them said to me, worth it. It was worth it. Kissing our grandkids, being with our family, being at church, being and doing what God's called us to do, standing and living my life is better than living in fear. They're both fine, by the way, both out of the hospital, both at church, serving Jesus. Now, this might be freaking you out. What are we going to do? Are we going to all take our masks off? No, we're going to wear our masks. We're going to walk in wisdom. 
But here's what I want to speak to you by the Spirit of God today, that you do not be dominated by fear. Let me just tell you right now, there's an agenda, and it's not a political agenda. It's a demonic, spiritual agenda to come and control and get you to be so afraid that you give up on your God-given right to live as a son or a daughter of God to go and worship and be part of the house of God and the people of God and the mission of God to get you to be so afraid that you give up everything about life that makes life worth living. And you have to be honest about it and say, do I, am I holding on to my life so hard that I'm going to end up losing it? I heard an absolutely tragic story about a woman that was for nine months put in a hospital and her husband was protected from her. So she died all by herself in a hospital room all by herself, and her husband is so protected, he was heartbroken and soon died after, out of the heartbreak of not being with his wife. That is absolutely diabolical. And I'm not making a political statement. I want you to hear me. I'm talking about fear, not talking about conservative or liberal or any other kingdom, the kingdom of America. I'm talking about the kingdom of God, that you are a son or a daughter of God. You're not called to be dominated by fear. You're called to walk by faith. Yes, walk in wisdom. Yes, take precautions. Yes, do everything you can do to be safe. But let me just tell you right now, the world that my children will grow up in will not be a world of fear. They will be taught. You walk with God. You walk with your head held high. You're not dominated by fear. You live in faith. We serve a different kingdom. We're not just Americans. Yes, that's our natural earthly kingdom, but we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. We're not going to let our children become infested with this disease of fear. We're going to live our lives in pursuit of what God has called us to do, and we're going to live it free. Come on, somebody. Well, Pastor Jake, you're denying the pandemic. No, I'm not. I just told you I had COVID. It doesn't feel good. I had a cold that was worse, to be honest with you, before, but I got COVID, and I felt tired. I had a fever. I didn't feel good. I I watched a lot of, you know, Netflix during that time. (laughs) But you know what? The whole time, when when I was, you know, going through that sickness, never once was I in fear sitting there going, oh, I'm going to die. Uh, the, you know, I, you can't control these things. We've got to choose to live in faith and live in hope and live in by the Spirit of God and what he's calling us to do. Fear will, will come and it'll try to steal your lunch. See, the thing about fear is fear gets you to do the thing you're afraid of before it actually happens. We have in our culture right now people so dominated by fear, they're so afraid of being sick that what they actually do is end up dying spiritually, dying emotionally, dying mentally. I was hearing a story about a a friend of mine who was down in California and a lady that lives next to them. She's literally been in her house for like, you know, six, eight months. And many of us know people that are this way. And, And if you're afraid or you're vulnerable, I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I want you to hear this, okay? I'm not saying coming out in the open, taking your mask off, good, being at home, being safe, bad. No, I'm not saying that's not, the, that's not what I'm painting here. I'm just painting a picture of what, when you're dominated by fear, this woman is in her house. She's upstairs in her room. She's an elderly lady. And so she was literally trying to talk to the family, you know, at, in, in their backyard and just begging them to talk to her. And she was saying, I'm just so lonely. I haven't actually had a person to talk to. Okay. You're so afraid of getting sick that you're already dead. Fear many times becomes a prophetic destiny. If you let fear control your life, you end up seeing the thing you were deathly afraid of actually come to fruition. When you say, look, I recognize in truth and reality we're in a pandemic. People are getting sick. It is real. Not denying that. Let's be cautious. Let's be wise. But here's what's going on. Uh, But I'm not going to let that dominate my life. I'm still going to live my life. 
You can, you can walk in wisdom, but also walk in faith. Are you with me? Fear is not your portion. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the apostle Paul speaks to his spiritual son, Timothy, in fearful times. First century Christianity, this time in the Roman Empire, is very chaotic. Every time they went to preach the gospel, they, they were getting shipwrecked and people were attacking them. Paul would go to preach the gospel and get stoned. He actually died one time. They had to raise him from the dead and he went in and finished his sermon. That's commitment right there. <laughs> I had the snuffles. That's what I had, the snuffles. You hearing me? Nobody threw rocks at me. Paul says to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. When you begin to be controlled by a spirit of fear, you didn't get it from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. They're talking about victory and of love. Did you know you're so loved by God? He loves you so much. Talks about in, in one of the passages of scripture, Jesus tells a parable about compassion and it talks about the gut. God loves you so much that it hurts his stomach. He just cares about you. You ever grab your kids sometimes? Sometimes I grab my, my kids and I squeeze them tight. They're big enough now. They can actually handle the hug. They actually ask me for a, um, what do they call it? X3, X3 squeeze. Because X3 is like my workout thing I do. And so they go, dad, give us an X3 squeeze. <laughs> And what that means is get him, have you heard this, Esther, at dinner table? You know, they'll sit on my lap and they want me to like, like squeeze them. Why am I talking about this? Man, I'm just a human being, fallible, flawed, but I love my kids so much it makes my stomach hurt. I give them an X3 squeeze. You think about how much God loves you and you're afraid. Didn't come from him. He's given you not a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. In Greek, this word, it actually talks about having a sound mind. It talks about that even in the middle of confusion and fear and panic, you're going to be able to think clearly and operate with wisdom and make good decisions. How many of you think we need more of that? Because fear gets us doing irrational things. Fear gets us, you know, so afraid that we're willing to just not live, just not, not serve Jesus, not be who he's called us to be. But when you have a sound mind by the spirit of God, you're actually able to think through and go, you know what? Let's be wise. Let's operate to the best of our ability in, in, as a team and part of culture and our community. Let's wear our masks. Let's actually, let's do our best. How many of you know at Joy Church, we're not, we're not here denying a pandemic. I'm not up here preaching to you going, it's not real. Everybody take off your mask. We're going to have 5,000 people packed into the room and everybody's going to kiss each other. <laughs> come on, come get it from me, you know. We, we, we didn't, we, that's not what we're doing. We're, we're admitting the reality of circumstances, but we're choosing to have a sound mind and not be dominated by fear. You hear what I'm saying today? Okay. I said it better in first service, but, it, but, but well, you guys get this. Yeah, it's good. Let's move on. God has not given us a spirit of fear. David is feeling this fear, a time of deep fear, which comes. And, we, and it's okay to admit that and be like, I'm afraid, I'm scared, but God has not given me that spirit of fear. Then David, in verse 6 he says, I want to get out of here. God, I want wings. Get me out. How many of you know when you're going through the, the storm, oftentimes the response is like, I just want to run away. You've heard fight or flight. How many of you are like, flight, that's me, flight, right? Like Bethany and I, at least 20 times, we've dreamed out loud during this year, 2020, going through fear, going through panic, going through confusion. We've, we've just thought, man, if we could just get on a plane and go hop, hop on that plane and get to Mexico. We just want to go to Joy Church La Paz and serve Pastor Jamie by being the people that go and get the tacos and bring them to the meal. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, honestly, many times this year, we didn't want to be the pastors of Joy Church. 
This is a, a church, a couple uh, hundreds and hundreds of people. Did you know half of you think we're doing it right and half think we're doing it wrong? And everybody has let us know. <laughs> not everybody. But we get emails, we're not doing enough. We need to be doing more. You need to, make, you need to get straight jackets and, and, and you need to personally tie, you know, plastic around people's faces when they come in. And then we have other people that are like, we need, you know, you're basically, you're a socialist if you believe in this pandemic. And, and, and we're like, <laughs> I'm just having fun. But you guys hear what I'm saying? Well, which one's right? We don't know. Have you ever lit, led a church through a pandemic before? <laughs> Bethany and I are in our 30s, guys. We don't know. <laughs> well, let me think back. When I was pastoring a large church in the Spanish flu in 1918... <laughs> Literally, all the guys that I ask questions to, I have men of God and women of God that are our overseers that are in their 60s and 70s, and we would go to them and say, what do we do? And we call them, and they're like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) We're trying to go to Mexico. (laughs) David gets brutally honest with God, and he says, I want wings. Get me out of here totally normal. But you know, you're not called to fly away. You're called to stand. Bethany and I talked about what happens if everything goes to hell in a handbasket in our city, in our country, and all this. What happens if the worst thing that we could fear comes to fruition? And she said this. She said, that would be the time God would have called us to be here the most. And I'm like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. (laughs) Don't you like tacos? (laughs) God has called you to stand as a light in the darkness. The church is described not as the city in a valley, hidden away, and locked in a closet. It's the city on a hill. Undeniable, absolutely unhideable. You can't conceal. The church is meant to stand in the middle of culture, to stand up and say, we're not living in fear, we're walking in faith. We recognize things are bad. We recognize there's a pandemic. We're going to all do our part, but we're not going to let ourselves be dominated like the sumo wrestler of fear with his foot on your neck. I'm going to stand up and be a son or a daughter of God. And yes, I might die. You're going to die in the next 100 to 150 years, guys, unless somebody invents like all the plastic organs or whatever. I don't know. But I'm not going to die today. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm not just going to leave. I'm going to live. I'm going to stand. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to have hope. Let me just tell you right now, you're being so pumped full of fear from both sides of the political spectrum. Man, there's so much fear out there. It's crazy. People are high on fear. People are addicted to fear. They can't even, you're just shaking with fear. Let me just tell you, God has a great plan and a future and hope for you and your life. Don't live in fear. Wanting to escape, it's natural. And then we kind of go to this progression in, in, in verse 9, or I'm sorry, in verse 11, David says this. He says, everything is falling apart. How many of you ever, ever said this? You know, during this, during this last year, there were some days where I felt pretty discouraged. I'm like, man, the church is falling apart. We had like three people, you know, want to come and like nobody's going to come anymore. It's all going to fall apart. We just built this building. Everybody's going to panic and run away. Business is not going good. People aren't going to read my emails anymore. My kids don't love me. You know, the ducks can't play football. <laughs> you know, how many of you ever know? And it's like everything is falling apart. Everything is coming down. It's despair. It's despondency. It's all coming down. And if Trump wins or Biden wins, oh my God, what's going to happen to us? How many of you know? 
we have these fears. Everything is falling apart and we get fixated, fixated on the problem, fixated on that person that's been mean to us, fixated on what people are saying, fixated on whatever it may be. It becomes our entire world. And David is saying this, everything is falling apart. It's bad. My enemies, all this. But here's what you have to ask yourself. Is that true? Is everything falling apart? The answer is no. Because even if this nation, even if this political thing, even if whatever, even if you get sick, even if you die, there's still a king. He's still on the throne. He's still sovereign. And he still rules over this world. He still has a a plan. We are part of a kingdom that though the world gets shaken, we have an unshakable kingdom. This is the beauty about being a Christian. Even like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going Old Testament right now. You're like, you speaking in tongues? No, these are the real guy's names. <laughs> Shandai, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in the fiery furnace. They said, oh, king, it may be that we'll perish. But basically, we're not going to bow. We're not, even if we perish, even if, even if it doesn't go our way, even if we don't get what we wanted, we still have our faith and trust in God. Right. We, we need to recognize that when we get fixated on the problem, fixated on what's going wrong, Oftentimes, we're not even walking in reality. This is why it's so important to walk in community and fellowship as part of a church. My wife many times will be like, Psh, she doesn't actually slap me, you know, just in case you thought so. I mean, a little bit, but she's <laughs> slapped me like, Jake, no, not everything's falling apart. It's, it's going to be okay. It's, it's okay to admit. It's healthy to say, I'm not okay. I need help. I'm not doing well. Things aren't good. Think there's a problem. There's a pandemic. It's bad. There's bad things going on. I'm worried about politics, whatever, that's, that's fine. Being, it, being a Christian is not about living a trouble-free life in a trouble-free world. Even Jesus said, and people don't like this verse, but I like this verse. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. I rebuked that in Jesus' name. He's like, I'm Jesus, I'm saying it. <laughs> in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the scripture, you're called more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. You're not to be dominated by fear. You're to dominate fear. You're not to be under uh, oppression of the demonic and depression and despair and discouragement. You're called to rise up as a conqueror. Not just be fixated on what's wrong, but take heart. It's okay to say things aren't good, but but we we need to go to this next phase. And this is what we see from, from David in this prayer in verse 16. He makes a choice to choose faith and to choose to trust God. Listen to what he says in verse 16. But I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress. Things are bad. But the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. I love verse 19. God who has ruled forever. See, Whatever problem or circumstance or challenge you're facing is a new kid on the block. The real power has always been ruling and always is and always will be. God who has ruled forever will humble, hear me and humble them. God's going to move. God's going to act. David chooses to live in faith and fear. He makes, or not in fear, in faith and trust. He makes a choice to have faith and trust in God. Let me tell you, you want to learn how to overcome fear? You simply have to choose faith. You're saying, take my mask off? No, wear your mask. That's called wisdom. It's not a lack of faith to wear a mask. You hear what I'm saying? We have a wonderful guy in our church. He uh, works for the public health. And we, we talk almost every week about 
what the numbers are. We're, we're thinking about this in a natural way. We're, we're, why are we here as a church that has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people limiting services down to 100? Because we are not living in delusion, denying that there's anything going on. We're trying to be safe. But in the midst of that, we're also saying we're not going to be dominated by fear. We're choosing faith. We're making that decision. And so when you talk about breaking free from fear, it's a decision to live in faith instead, to know that God hears your prayer, that he is listening, and know that he's not going to let you go. You can trust him. God has got you. Listen to this story. There was a father named Tim Hansel, Hansel, I think it was Tim Hansel and Tina Gretel, Gretel, but Tim, that was such a geeky joke. Yeah, hopefully the live stream people laughed at that too. We had like seven chuckles in the room, I counted. Uh, More of a guffaw, but you know, we'll, we'll let it pass. One day, Tim says, while my son Zach and I were out in the country climbing around in some cliffs, I heard a voice from above me yell, hey dad, catch me. I turned around to see Zach joyfully jumping off a rock straight at me. He had jumped and then yelled, hey, Dad. (laughs) I became an instant circus act, catching him. We both fell to the ground. For a moment after I caught him, I could hardly breathe or talk. And when I found my voice again, I gasped in exasperation, Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? He responded with remarkable calmness. Sure, because you're my dad. His whole assurance was based in the fact that his father was trustworthy. He could live life to the hilt because I could be trusted. Isn't this even more true for a child of God? Hey, God, catch me. You know, I'm not telling you to do something reckless, but I am telling you to do something risky, which is to live your life pedal to the metal for Christ. What if every decision you made, instead of, the, instead of doing risk management Christianity, how much can we afford to, to, to give? How much can we afford of our time? How much of our energy can we afford to give? How much of our uh, precious family time, which we mostly spend watching Netflix and arguing, could we give to serve the kingdom of God? Oh, I don't want to go to a group because if I go to a group, then I'll have to talk to people and build real relationships. What if instead of living a risk management life, we lived a life and said, I trust God and I'm going to go pedal to the metal in his calling on my life? Number one, you'll be more fulfilled. Number two, you'll have much more fun. And number three, you will give glory to God by living a life that is worthy of the one who breathed that breath into your lungs to begin with. I have three beautiful children. They're not fully obedient yet. <laughs> I remember when each of them were born. And I remember being amazed as they were being born at the presence of God in the room and recognizing and knowing I'm a steward and a caretaker, but I didn't create them. Ultimately, they belong to him. And just knowing in that moment that God was the one that had breathed that breath of life. He was the one that had woven them in 
their mother's womb. They were fearfully and wonderfully made. Sure, they look like Bethany and I, but the reality is ultimately they're the children of God born for great destiny and purpose. And my role is to come along like Gandalf and help them become who they're to be, to to be a guide and a steward and yes, to discipline and yes, to raise them up. But ultimately they were born for a high purpose by the hand of God, by the breath of God. And so were you, my friend. You thought, well, I've gone through this pain and I've had this life and I'm afraid and I've gone through this. That's okay, be honest with him. But you can choose to trust him. You can choose to put your faith in him. You can choose to say, hey, God, catch me as you're following in his will and living his life. Isn't he trustworthy? Isn't he good? Isn't he amazing? Isn't he a good father? He's so good. We even sing a song where we say it twice. He's a good, good father. And as we get ready to close here today, very uh, the last thing that David goes through is talks about the fact that there's good guys and bad guys. He says, my companion, this is what he did. He broke his promises. These enemies of mine, they're evil. They've done all these things. And David's not wrong. David calls it like it is. There are good guys and bad guys. There's betrayers. Sometimes people do evil things. There's manipulators and connivers and deceivers and people that are broken and they break others. There's many of you have gone through abuse. You've walked through things where somebody did something to you, said something, whatever, at various levels. We've all broken. We've all been broken. We live in this world. We recognize that. You don't have to pretend like it didn't happen, but here's what we're called to do and what David recognizes in this prayer. It's God's place to give justice. It's God's place to render a righteous judgment, not mine. It says in Romans 12, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. We can trust God, not just with ourselves, but we can trust God with the results and the justice and the judgment. You know, even this week we're in an election, there's heat, there's anger, there's rage, there's some people are gonna be thrilled and happy and half the people aren't either way. And there's a temptation to take up a sword and to take vengeance. Well, they did this or this person did that. As a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to let that sword go. Give it to the Lord and say, I, don't, I trust in God's justice. If something has been done wrong or evil or bad, God ultimately has that in his hands and I trust him. And David comes to this place in this prayer, trusting in the justice of God. And in verse 22, it kind of has this summation of the whole thing. It says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. This is the heart of the issue. Do we trust him? Do we trust him with our life? Do we trust him with our family? Are we letting fear dominate us or are we making a choice today to walk in faith, not in fear, to walk in trust? Two things to take away today. Number one is, hey, it's okay to get brutally honest with God. How many of you are like, man, that's refreshing. I wanna get in my prayer, prayer time and just, God, I'm so upset about this. That's fine. It's fine. Just recognize and give him trust. Give him that. Unpack your stuff with God. And then number two, trust him no matter what. He's got you. He's going to provide justice. God is going to get you through. God is going to get you through this pandemic. He's going to get you through this, these politics. He's going to get you through what you're walking through in your marriage, with your children, with your family, with your coworkers, whatever. God has got you. You can trust him. He's good and he's worth trusting with your life. You'll never go wrong with that. 
Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we would choose to walk in faith, not in fear. Choose to trust you with our everyday living, breathing, eating, going to work, all of it, life. We would give it to you 100%. Lord, I thank you that we're uh, united as a people. I pray, Father, as we go into this week of elections, that we wouldn't be in disunity. We wouldn't be in fear. We wouldn't be in fighting. Would it be in striving or straining or even stressing about what's happening? But Lord, we would, we would choose to look to you and Lord, we would walk in love and walk in unity as a church. And Lord, even as that light to, to be, provide that, that sense of family and community and hope and life for our community. Lord, I thank you that you are sovereign. You sit upon the throne and we put our trust in you today in Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Christ. Every week, people decide to follow Jesus at Joy Church. They decide to, to start this process. Listen, we're going to pray a prayer together. You can pray it on live stream with me. You can pray it here in the room. And the prayer does not make you a Christian. It's not magic. It's not like that. It's not that. It's you making a, a, marking a moment saying, I'm going to follow Jesus from this point. I'm going to trust him with my salvation. I'm going to trust him with my life. Let's pray this prayer together. If you want to make that decision, just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I put my faith and trust in you and you alone. I thank you for your work at the cross where you gave your life for me, paid for my sins, and made a way for me to be reconciled with God. I put my faith and trust in you and I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen.